right, welcome everyone to our Polaris podcast. So I'm Jeremy Whitbeck, a partner of Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have Jeff Powell, our managing partner and chief investment officer on the line with us. Jeff, it's good to see you. Good to see you as well, Jeremy. So Jeff, uh, we uh, last week when we met, we had a conversation about some of the terms that are used in the financial industry and recognizing that these are not terms that you often hear about and we have a tendency to assume that everyone knows what they mean. And so in the spirit of last week, I thought it'd be fun to uh, continue to go through the different terms and, and really understand what they mean. Um, we're going to change up a little bit, whereas last time I started on the more serious ones, we're going to start with the fun ones and then interweave the more serious terms as we go along. And so on that, uh, let's go ahead and start with one that you hear a lot about, and that is don't fight the tape. And not talking about wrapping Christmas presents either. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, there definitely could be, uh, the tape can be taken in a lot of different ways. But uh, don't fight the tape uh, is a fun phrase. I mean, it's a, it's a technical phrase, uh, talking about the stock market. So if you think about uh, back in the day, um, back before electronics and so on, uh, you had a ticker tape. And that's why you had ticker tape parades and everything else, where it was the confetti that was thrown out the window, everything else. And so when you talk about not fighting the tape, that's what they're referring to is the ticker tape. And they're, they're talking about the markets moving up, you know, regardless of if you think it should be going up or not, why would you fight it? So it's saying, hey, if the markets are moving up technically, why fight it? Don't fight the tape. You know, if it's going up or down, you can sit there and say, hey, there's no rational reason for this market to be dropping, um, which, again, the last time I can think of a market like that was to the end of 2018, where the economy was great. Earnings were great. People started worrying about the potential of having a recession and the markets dropped 20 percent, not quite 20, but close enough. Um, that would be why fight the tape, you know, didn't look like it should be going on, but why would you fight the tape? It's going down. So get out of the way of it. You know, conversely, you could sit there and go, gosh, the valuations in the markets right now don't make any sense. Which direction is the market heading? It's pretty much going up. So why would you fight the tape? That's what we're talking about with it. Yeah, and, and sometimes you'll hear different versions of it, like the trend is your friend or the market has inertia, but same concept where if the market's going against you, as much as you may feel like you're right, the market moving against you means that you're wrong, or at least for that time. Uh, on a more serious note, uh, what is R squared? Mm, R squared, going back to math class again. So R squared is uh, talking about uh, how much of your portfolio uh, performance is coming from market movement versus investment selection. Uh, so an R squared of one, for example, would really mean that uh, that you were indexed, that your your portfolio basically is going to move up and down. It's it's sort of the rising tide lifting all ships, but really you've got a an index ship rather than anything else. Um, R squared of below that is really when uh, where you're starting to see value being brought to the table uh, by the investment selection. So again, uh, you're saying less and less of the price movement of your portfolio is driven by uh, the underlying benchmark that you're comparing yourself to. Uh, the issue with that is, you know, in some cases, uh, some institutions actually wanna see you have an R squared above a 0.9 uh, because they want there to be less tracking error as they call it. Um, what we look at behind it is it's not about tracking error. Uh, it's about us being able to sit there and say, oh, by the way, 
given this current market environment, maybe you should hold no financials, or maybe you should hold no energy, or maybe you should hold no whatever, and we'll eliminate uh, specific segments of the market, not invest in them at all, and then be very overweighted in other areas of the market uh, that we feel like have the greatest amount of strength. So in doing that, you're not gonna look like an index. Uh, our whole idea is the only way that you're gonna outperform a benchmark is by having uh, some fortitude of what you believe is gonna happen and under and overweight specific segments of the marketplace and specific holdings in order to bring value to the table, which we were talking about last week, talking about alpha. It's one of the ways that we're able to bring alpha to the table is by shifting around uh, the sectors that we're willing to invest in. Yeah, the, another uh, really good explanation. I'll tell you, this is one of my pet peeves when it comes to the investment community is that we use R squared and we try to overuse it, right? So for example, R squared can be helpful so you can see kind of what index is the right one that you're tracking around. But then we want to overutilize it and saying, well, if your R squared deviates too much from the benchmark, then I'm going to penalize you. And 2020 is a great year. I don't know of a single client that would have said, hey, you only took on half the downside of the market when it fell. Your R squared is 50 or 0.5. I'm dissatisfied with that. That would be an extreme example of what would be a home run in our world. And yet R squared would sit there and say, well, that's not a good thing. So to your point, um, a tool, but like anything, when overutilized, over relied upon, it can lead to bad conclusions. And unfortunately, I see that a lot where we want to really just look at things at a glance and try to understand them. And it's something that uh, can mean something or can mean something entirely different. And a lot of people don't necessarily take the time to really understand the story that's being painted with that. Uh, another fun phrase, and that is don't catch the falling knife, which is probably good advice in all regards, but what does it mean when uh, when we're talking about it in an investment or a financial stance? Well, I mean, again, if you just kind of think about the, or visualize what that means, uh, you're sitting in your kitchen and you're cooking and you knock a knife off the countertop. Would you catch it? And, you know, most people would say no. They're going to let it hit the floor. They're going to let it settle. And then they'll pick up the knife because it's too dangerous to try to catch a knife that's falling because they're going to get caught and heard. Same is true with the stock market. If you're lo looking at a stock and you're investing in it just because the price looks cheaper uh, than it was a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever, you're catching potentially a falling knife. Have the fundamentals changed? What's driving the factor of this stock dropping in value? Um, you really need to understand both the fundamentals and the technicals behind it. So. Uh, we recommend highly uh, to not only not let it uh, not try to catch it, let it settle for a while. We're gonna we're gonna want to track different technical things in order to understand the bottoming out process and then the recovery. And you don't need to be the first one in the recovery. You just need to participate uh, in a good portion of it. So uh, we just really don't like to be involved in in stocks just because they appear to be cheaper. We want to be in great companies that are fundamentally sound that happen to uh, provide us a good value yeah absolutely and you know this is one of those lessons i think a lot of people learned it the hard way in the market sell-off that happened in 08 where 08 dropped and then people bought in and then it dropped some more and then they bought in and then there's a dead cap bounce and they bought it and then it drops some more and so to your point right if you're looking at things and wanting to not get cut on the way down you need to let it settle and you need to see signals of strength before you uh you start taking advantage of uh some of the discounted pricing 
Uh, let's go ahead and, and talk about some of the ratios that we use. Um, and the first one is the Sharpe ratio. So what is the Sharpe ratio trying to tell us? Well, Sharpe ratio is, is again, going back and looking at uh, risk-adjusted performance. Uh, you've got several different ways of being able to, to look at it. So rather than getting too technical with, uh, within uh, you know, this, this podcast in particular, the biggest thing that I would just throw out is, uh, is throwing out that a Sharpe ratio is as a way of being able to say, okay, what is the risk-adjusted performance? Is it strong or is it not strong based upon its benchmark? So use it kind of like an alpha. Um, you know, there are several other uh, mechanisms of, of how to view the market and its risk levels and its, its valuation. So sharp ratio, again, another way of us being able to, to determine that. Yeah, the one thing that I uh, that I think is important to note about the Sharpe ratio is Sharpe ratio is looking at risk within the portfolio. And just to remind everyone on last week when you talked about standard deviation, right? Standard deviation is the risk that's used in the Sharpe ratio. And remember, standard deviation it, it increases even if you perform on the upside. So, for example, if your mean return is 10% and you do 20%, right? That you killed it that year, but your sharp ratio is going to go up commensurate for that. The way that the sharp ratio, uh, or excuse me, your standard deviation is going to go up. The way that the sharp ratio is calculated is it actually will penalize you for some of that additional up capture because you deviated from your mean. Now, I, wa I wanted to point that out because in a moment, I'm going to ask you about another ratio that actually fixes that problem and one that I actually really like to use because it doesn't have that upside bias penalty that the sharp ratio may have. But before well, we... Uh, Jeremy, why don't you just go ahead and jump into it then? I mean, uh, I think that you did a better job of explaining sharp to, uh, than I did. Um, why don't you go ahead and jump into it and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take two fun ones then afterwards, make my life easy. <laughs> All right, uh, that's a that's a deal. So on the uh, on the ratio front, then since the sharp ratio penalizes you for additional upside capture, the Sortino ratio is the one that I actually think is far preferable um, and a much better indicator of financial successes within a portfolio. I think the reason why the sharp ratio is still utilized as heavily as it is today is it's one of the first ratios that we learn about in MBA school. I mean, it does have its application, but the Sortino ratio actually says, you know. What, I don't care about upside up capture that deviates from the mean. In fact, I want to reward you for that. All that I care about is downside or underperforming the mean. And so Sortino ratio is taking half of the standard deviation, which is the bottom half or the underperforming half of that standard deviation, and then looks at how many units of return you got. And so that's a, actually a much better measurement of risk and one that can really help you uh, see how many units of return you're getting for unit of downside risk within a portfolio. So it's a, an excellent ratio, but unfortunately one that's not nearly as widely used because quite frankly, it's not really taught, um, at least when I was in grad school, maybe it's changed then, um, but it's not taught in, uh, in MBA school. Um, one that, uh, that I think that uh, is not necessarily as well understood, but you get thrown around from time to time, Jeff, is buy on rumor and sell on news. What <laughs> does that well, again, one of the things that uh, ends up happening, and it's not a, it's not a recommended way of investing. I want to make that one very clear. Uh, but oftentimes, what ends up happening within the stock market is that people will be disappointed by what the news is when it actually comes out. So, uh, oftentimes, okay, well, ABC company is going to buy out, you know, XYZ company, and so. Everybody gets excited. Maybe they buy into XYZ because it's going to be bought out. 
Um, and then the news actually does come out and it is true. ABC is buying XYZ, but then they don't necessarily like the terms of the purchase or something else of that nature. So oftentimes the rumor uh, can get a momentum uh, going faster. And then when the actual uh, reality sets in of what's going on with that news uh, item, then the market or that the stock price of a particular company will oftentimes uh, fall off or drop as a result of the actual news coming out. Now, again, not saying to buy it. Certainly, you know, we do not uh, say that, you, you know, insider trading, big no-no, uh, buying simply on rumor, you're gambling. Uh, but just realize that that's what this terminology comes from is saying, hey, you're buying based upon what's rumor out on the street that this may be going on. And then when the news actually comes out, you want to get out from underneath it because there's a better chance than not that the markets will, uh, you know, get, go back to the correct parity level in order to make sure all this is going on. Yeah. And Jeff, to go to kind of some of the, uh, the uh, analogies that you use, I like to refer to this as the new car effect, right? So when you're going to purchase a new car, right, the, the excitement, the anticipation, say you're buying a convertible, you're imagining rolling the top down, the wind blowing through your hair, how it's going to be an amazing experience. And then you get the car, you realize with the top down, it's really annoying to have your hair blowing over. It's rainy, it's cold, not anything that you thought it would be. And so the actual purchase of the car, once you have it, tends to not live up to the expectations that you had building into it. And unfortunately, it's the same thing with uh, announcements with companies where a lot of times the rumor is far more glamorous and far more exciting than the actual news that comes out. And to your point, it certainly leads to different behaviors in the stock price. Um, one last one to, to top us off, Jeff, and this is one that I don't think can be understated. It's certainly true. It's, it's talked about a lot because of how true it is. And that is that the markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. What does that mean? Yeah, so, I mean, I get people that, uh, that will come to me and ask all the time, you know, how is it that the markets are doing this? I mean, even just think about last year. I mean, 2020, uh, if you looked at the fundamentals of what was going on or the macroeconomics of what was going on, there's no way in the world uh, that the, the market should have gone up as much as they did, up over 18% on the year in 2020. Um, so rather than trying to figure out the why, uh, what this is trying to say is stop guessing at why. It's irrelevant. You know, the markets will be irrational longer than you can remain solvent. So if you're betting against a market, uh, that's really the big thing that it's talked about. You know, price doesn't lie. So if something is going up or down, price doesn't lie. You may think that, that, that it's completely uh, the wrong thing. Markets don't care. They will separate you from your money for no other reason than just, again, they can be irrational. So this, this is one that I really think is a very important uh lesson for most individual investors because the person that thinks that they're the smartest person in the room is normally the one that gets their money separated from them the fastest because they rationalize why they're smarter and why what they're thinking is correct and why everybody else is wrong you know if you and i sat here we could spend the entire day rationalizing why the market should be going up or down for that matter so let's say that we were saying that it should be going down <coughs> markets are going up guess what? We are wrong. And so, again, this key, keeps you in alignment with uh, what's going on, going back to the trend being your friend and a few other items out there. We want to make sure that we're being uh, intelligent about this and that we're not letting our ego 
uh, come in the way of our investment decisions. Yeah, well, Jeff, and uh, I think uh, that's a great way to leave this because it's a lesson, unfortunately, that sometimes takes a lifetime for people to fully understand and appreciate. And uh, I do want to recognize one thing, and over the time that I've had the privilege of working with you, and of course, many more years to come, that is the one thing that say I've learned from you that uh, can't be understated, and that is you can't have an ego when it comes to the market because of the irrational nature of how the markets work. As much as we want to tout how efficient and how streamlined things are, the fact is, is that the market does crazy things at times that really no one understands. I know people scramble to put a headline to it and to talk about it on all the financial news, but the reality is we're trying to figure out after the fact a good explanation of what occurred, but in the moment we really don't know because there's so many different variables and quite frankly, sometimes irrational behavior rules the day or week or month or year, um, as was uh, found in 2020. So that's certainly one of those things that uh, I've watched uh, you um, over time just uh, really embrace. And I'd say that's one of the reasons why Polaris has been so successful, why our strategies do as well as they are, is because we are realistic about the fact that you can only know so much and there's always going to be things that you don't know. And pretending that you're the smartest person in the room, to your point, just means that you're going to be the first one that looks like a fool. So Jeff, thank you so much for uh, for uh, going through these. Um, hopefully the audience had as much fun going through them as I did. Um, any, I guess, last pieces of advice as we uh, wrap up for today? No, I mean, we've had, a, I think, a, a good uh, two-part series here kind of going through this. One of the things that I guess I would really encourage you to think about with this is try to, to carry this conversation in with your financial advisor, uh, your wealth advisor at Polaris. The more that you use uh, a language, uh, the more that it sticks, um, and you know, listening to this and then not applying it into your daily life uh, means that it won't stick around for very long. So either come back and revisit this and listen to this more than once or start using the terminology so that, uh, again, it sticks uh, in your memory, it sticks into your, uh, your, your knowledge base to be able to communicate with your wealth advisor, your financial consultant in a way that Maybe you'll you'll come and surprise them that 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 you know more than what they thought that you did. Yeah, no, that's that's great advice, Jeff. And uh, the only other thing I'd add to that too is that if we do ever use a term that you're not familiar with, please pause us and have us explain it because we forget sometimes that uh, finance really does have a language in and of itself, and uh, most people don't use that language every day. Um, and so with that, um, thank you so much for your time, Jeff. Always appreciate your, uh, your explanations and also the analogies that you bring to the conversation. And to our audience, as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Thank you, Jeremy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. 
Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.